I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Stick around until the end of today's episode to hear the opening segment of The Athletic's newest narrative podcast, The Play Callers, where Jordan Rodrigue takes you inside the dynamics of the NFL's youngest coaching family, the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay tree, with exclusive interviews with four head coaches and all your favorite sports personalities. Find all five episodes on the Athletic Football Show feed wherever you're listening to this podcast. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, working hard in the summer, unlike my co-hosts. You got, <laughs> no you Jesse got Granger married. today. You, yeah, no you Jesse got, Granger, no Russo. You're allowed to get married. <laughs> All right, you're allowed to get married. He Granger's on his honeymoon. Russo's gallivanting around Italy, which is fine. It's the summer, and it's a good excuse to get Joe Smith on. To co-host with me today. How are you, man? Doing well, doing well. Hopefully, like, Russo brings back some wine for us. You know, I'm guessing, you know, in this huge tour with him and LaPanta and 34 Wild fans and stuff like that, it's going to be an interesting one, all one galvanizing through Europe, but... Some good wine. Uh, I could see him bringing back wine and then giving us the, the, the shitty wine. <laughs> <laughs> Any wine so, is good. It's a- that's very true. Um, so, yes, I hope they're listening somewhere, wherever they are, because I know Russo, like you said, is going to be doing a little bit of traveling. And, uh, well, Granger, don't be listening to us, Granger. Enjoy your honeymoon. Um, you only get one, two at most. Uh, so, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a little hockey, Joe. What do you think? We got quite a bit coming up, even though it's the offseason. I want to ask you this because before we get into it real quick, this is always the first week for me that I feel like summer kind of hits for guys like us. Because even when, you know, the Stanley Cup's awarded, I start thinking about, okay, we got the draft, we got free agency, we got everything else. Draft is done. Free agency is quote unquote done. Yes, there are still guys out there, but you know, the the wave, the initial wave is done. This is kind of the first week where I kind of go... Oh, look, sun's out. Hey, maybe I should get outside a little bit. What about you as a guy who does this for a living? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the last three years before this, you know, I was working up until the draft and the cup finals, right? And then but you always have the draft and you have free agency and then you have the first few days of free agency. So that's like you never really feel like you start it until mid-July around this time, which is a beautiful time here in Minnesota. So I'm appreciating that fact. But, um, but yeah, I think you know, executives and teams are still working a little bit now. I think towards the end of this month, it'll start getting 
you know, really dark and quiet, which is good for sports writers and podcasters alike. But um, of course, the uh, arbitration hearing for Philip Gustafson, the wild goalie, is August 4th, the last possible day. So that gives something to think about or wonder about for a few more weeks. So thanks, thanks to NHL and NHLPA for scheduling the last possible day of the NHL offseason. I love that you say it's good for for podcasters and stuff. It's actually not great because there are going to be times because we keep doing this show. There are going to be times where we're going, ah, what do you guys want to talk about today? Not much news because everybody goes into their summer mode, but we've got news to talk about today. Um, Ottawa. We're going to talk a little bit about Ottawa in a couple different ways because obviously the main news that the Brinkett trade finally happened. Um, Ottawa pulling off the deal with no shocker here, Detroit. We kind of Figured that was one of the, the the front runners. He is from Michigan. He wanted to go to Detroit. Um, I know the deal's already kind of been broken down left, right, and center, but your initial thoughts on the return. I loved Ian Mendez's uh, quote in his piece where he said, for Ottawa fans, it was, quote, not terrible, but certainly not great either. I thought that was a perfect analysis for that. Yeah, it's kind of like a the meh button they put on the bottom yeah, of our stories yeah. at The Athletic. It was kind of one of those things. Like, they got something for him and clearly didn't have a lot of leverage. Like, they knew he wasn't going to sign there long term. But I feel like Detroit got a you know, really good end of this deal. Not only getting the drink it when they needed an elite score in their lineup, they didn't give up an awful lot. I mean, obviously, conditional first-round pick and Kubalik's a good, a nice young player. Uh, but they also got him to a four-year deal versus like signing him to an eight-year deal. I think yeah. that flexibility is going to be really important in the stage of their rebuild. So they got him for four years under, I think, under $8 million. So I think it's a, a stealth move by Steve Weisman with the Red Wings, who I think... You know, we're talking about people who have, have pressure on them, and Pierre Dorian's one of them. Like, I know Eisenman could probably be there for 20 years and be fine, but it's still like year seven or so, like the rebuild there. You know, year five, six, seven, and they want to be competitive. And I've been in that market before. I grew up in Detroit. I know how important, you know, the team is and being in the playoffs 25 straight years that people took for granted for so long. So I, I think that that deal obviously is going to be a big boost and kind of signal to the team that they have there. Like, hey, they want to be competitive now um, in a East and Atlantic division that's uh, kind of an interesting transition right now. They needed a score and they got a score. Like sometimes, you know, we we overcomplicate a GM's job. Sometimes you just got to look at what you need. Like you're going to a grocery store. What do I need? I need milk. I need eggs. You go out and you get milk and you get eggs. They haven't had a 40-goal scorer in a long time. Marion Hossa in 9 the Brinkett's done it twice over the last five years. So you put him in the right situation and 40 goals is is very much uh, a legitimate request or expectation for him. They signed Comfer, they signed Strong. So you look at what Detroit's doing. We'll get back to Ottawa in a second, but you, you, you kind of pivoted to Detroit there. If you're a Red Wing fan and you're right, I grew up a Red Wing fan. I mean, if I could turn my camera a little bit to the, to, to the right here, I've got mm-hmm. an autographed Iserman jersey. Um we were spoiled as Red Wing fans for so long because without the cap and just with smart scouting, this team was constantly rebuilding while excelling at the same time. And we just don't necessarily see that anymore, do we? We don't. And like, I remember growing up and then, you know, all of a sudden, oh yeah, we got Luke Robitaille signed here and got, they, they acquired yeah. Brendan Shanahan and like Brett Hull's coming, you know, like the, the, the cap meant nothing to nobody at that point. Right. So yeah. it was just a, kind of a fun free agency. Like, oh, they lost a couple of players. That's all right. You know, well, still them finding the up. Datsuks and the Zetterbergs of the world. Oh, right? those drafts. Yeah. yeah. The drafts that they got those guys and they built their foundation of their team for like, those guys were there for 12, 15. Lister was there for like 100 years, it felt like. Yeah. So I think that. Like you're right, they were they needed of a score. They got one. I think Max Bolton put it in his article. I think they lost 18 games by one goal 
last year. And then that won't change the whole entire script. But when you need a game breaker to do something, those one goal games all of a sudden become loser points or become an extra point here and there. And then you get up to the 90 something point range and all of a sudden you're the Florida Panthers sweeping in and then who knows what happens. Back to Ottawa. Uh, you got to wonder a couple things. First off, Tarasenko's still out there and he's, his name has been linked to the Ottawa Senators. I'm wondering if this just clears the way for uh, Pierre Dorian to really put, put the foot on the gas and trying to get Tarasenko to Ottawa. I mean, I think that would be the next segue, right? I mean, they're, they're clearly in a position where they want to compete. They feel pressure to compete. You know how long Pierre Dorian's been there. There's ownership change. There's going to be some pressure there um, to make a run. Like last year, we were talking last summer, they were like a sweetheart pick to make the playoffs last year after yeah. getting to bring it. They got Claude Giroux. Like they were adding up. They were like the summer winners, weren't they? Um, in a lot of circumstances, you're like, oh, okay. The division, those guys, like, you know, Eisman's like Ottawa and Buffalo are ahead of us right now. And we thought that was going to be the case. So, I think a natural pivot to Karasenko or somebody like that to can that's a really, I think it's a really good young team. I think they have some some game breakers there. So I just you just wonder what among those teams that are below the Tampa's, Boston's, and Toronto's can make them extra leap into that top three. I think given everything you just said and the fact that <laughs> you're under new ownership with Michael Landlauer and the moves that we've seen even over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they parted ways with uh Trent Mann, their assistant general manager, their president of business operations, Anthony LeBlanc, resigned. Um, I feel like it's funny for a non-playoff team. This team is under a lot of pressure, and Pierre Dorian is under a lot of – I'm with you. I remember on this very show, we were praising the moves Pierre Dorian made going into like the last two seasons, saying to, 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 to help this rebuild and to move it along quickly. And now, how much of a hot seat is he on right now? Well, you have, anytime you have a new ownership, all, all bets are off, right? You know, yeah. they're going to try to find their guy, especially if a guy is like, now he's a first year GM who just, just give him a chance to learn and give him a chance to prove himself. He's had a lot longer track record here in that market um, to win or to be able to be competitive. Um, it's been a long time. It felt like since they were in that, in that conference final run. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something that. What the moves to me were really, really weird uh, the last couple of weeks. You know, Trent Mann, you know, a lot of guys, guys have been there for a while. Like that seems like people forget that there was a lot of dysfunction with this franchise up until a year or so ago with the Melnick story that you know yeah. our colleagues wrote to uh, perfectly on that one. So I think there might still be some lingering things in the background there that um, this might be just a symptom of that of the, the one guy leaving, one guy getting let go. Uh, but clearly, like you said, there's pressure on the PR Dorian and the whole entire front office. I think to uh, be able to be more competitive this year and be relevant. Before we move out of this, just sticking with the East for a second, you know, we talked about the Red Wings and Steve Eiserman building this winner, uh, <laughs> built a winner really with that Tampa Bay team. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, the, the roller coaster waves we see with teams now, and obviously the salary cap has a lot to do with this. And, and you're very familiar with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Are we looking at a bit of a changing of the guard in the East right now, especially when it comes to this Lightning team? Are we, we, we going to see a lightning team that has dominated for so long with their back-to-back -back cups and their run again. Is this, is this a bit of a changing of the guard? Do you think? I don't know if it's a complete changing the guard. I mean, we'll get to Boston probably soon because they're probably closer towards having some other guys age out of the, the program yeah. and the system there. But I don't think it's a changing the guard. I don't think 
you know, Tampa's not nearly as deep as they were on those runs just because of the salary cap. You can argue killed them more than it killed any other team um, because it only went up like three million over the course of their dynasty run there. Um, so I think they're still going to be contender status. I thought they could, they could beat the Leafs last year in the first round. They played better than they did the first round of the previous year when they did beat the Leafs. Um, and they, I do like some of the moves they made too. They got younger and faster in their bottom six. They, they lost the Maroon, Perry, Belmar line, but they got some, they got Connor Sherry in there who could prove and score. And they've got Archibald and they got a few younger guys that could step in. As long as you still have that core in place and they're, they're not dinosaurs by any stretch. You have Vasilevsky, Kucherov, Hedman, Sergachev's a number one, uh, Braden Point. Like they have, they still have a core there that's one that's capable. They're not, dead tired yet. So I wouldn't say the changing of the guard, but I think the changing of the guard is coming um, in the East because you don't hang on to these guys for so long and and be competitive for so long. So there is a little crack of an opening for the teams like Ottawa and Buffalo and and uh, Detroit to sneak in when one of those teams does have an off year or just has a rough year with injuries, right? Yeah. Or you lose a top guy or all of a sudden one of those contending teams that we think could win all of a sudden, it has a rough, a rough year, and it happens. It may not be the end of the road, but it might be a stumbling block, and those are the opportunities for those other teams to step in. It's funny how you mentioned that the cap probably hurt the Lightning more than anybody else. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, well, you know what? They've been circumventing that damn thing for so long now, <laughs> you know, with their little Kucherov turtle here. <laughs> there, there were 12 teams over the, an LTIR last year, man. Look at, look at the I Vegas know. Golden Knights and Jesse's team. They had like $100 million over the cap this year. So, like, I don't know. That's a tired narrative, in my opinion. I mean, the cap's the cap, but uh, I think overall, the team that they – there's like seven, eight guys from the 2020 Cup team on the roster now. Um, and that's just three years ago. Um, yeah. Coleman, Gord, Goudreau. You've seen it all. Alex Klorin just left. Uh, you know, all these different things. Um, but yeah, no one's going to feel sorry for a team that won two Stanley Cups. So I get that. I think it's a tire narrative because they didn't do anything technically wrong. And until you break a rule, <laughs> you take advantage where you can do it. So uh, a couple more things I want to get to before we get to uh, our guest, who I should have mentioned off the top. Eric Stevens is going to come on our colleague from The Athletic to talk Ducks and to talk Kings. Um, Connor Bedard, obviously, we've talked a lot about him over the last, I was going to say a few months, really a few years we've been talking about Connor Bedard. He's going to be a generational player. Uh, And you look at when you draft someone like that, someone like a Crosby or someone like, you know, generational talents, Connor McDavid, of course. Kyle Davidson goes out and gets Corey Perry, Nick Foligno, and Taylor Hall. And Corey Perry talked this week a little bit about what it's like and what his role is going to be there. And he said, quote, it's not so much for me on the ice. It's away from the rink. It's in the dressing room. Just being a good teammate, just trying to help Bedard with day-to-day stuff, trying to make sure he knows what to do, where to go, be on time, all of those kinds of things. Then the on-ice stuff, it will take over as the season goes, end quote. How big is it to have a veteran like that? Because you talk about a spotlight. There's going to be about 50 spotlights on everything Connor Bedard does. Corey Perry's been there, done that. How how huge is it to have somebody like him to, for lack of a better term, hold Connor Bedard's hand through his rookie season? No, absolutely. I think Corey Perry is right too. A lot of it's off the ice. It's handling the media. It's handling the autograph seekers, the pressure, reading yeah. or not reading anything that's in the in the press, right? I think and Corey did that in Montreal when he was there, I think uh, with Suzuki and, and Caulfield and those guys. And he did that in Tampa with the Ross Coltons and younger players there. Um, 
And I think Flynn will be the same way. And they could also be somewhat, I say, of a shield, but like they can be go to guys in the locker room after losses or after wins. And they could be guys the media goes to and offers perspective and things. Corey Perry was a top five overall pick in the draft. He wasn't the Connor Bernard generational talent that, that this guy's been hyped to be for his whole entire life, but he does have perspective there. He's won major trophies, won a Stanley Cup. So I think. Having those guys, not just a full rebuild of young kids coming into Connor Bedard, supposed to be the leader of the United one. He'll probably be the captain at some point in Chicago. Um, but I think having Corey Perry and Felino and Taylor Hall will be helpful, uh, not just to have competitive players and competitive teams. No one wants to get their butt kicked every night, but also just off the ice in terms of being a pro. You know, he's just 18 years old, right? I mean, when, how much, how long has he not lived away from his house, you know, live by himself? So I think, you know, it's all these life things that we forget about, um, that go beyond the, the pressures of being given a franchise on your back right now. And uh, while I completely agree with you, the on ice stuff too, you know, if Connor Bedard goes the first three games of his NHL career without a point, mm-hmm. it's going to be, uh, you know, the pressure just gets that much bigger. It's if the Corey Perry's of the world that can help him mm-hmm. keep an even keel to say, this is an 82 game season. We've got a lot to go and you've got a long career ahead of you. So I think, I think that's huge. One more thing before we uh, go to break. I know it's an, an NHL show, a hockey show, but news came out. The NBA is going to be holding that in season tournament starts in November, goes to December. Never thought I'd see it. Very soccer. Like we see this all the time. Um, do you think this kind of opens the door to a possible mid-season tournament? Not necessarily with NHL teams, but you, we're always looking for that best-on-best best international tournament. Could we see like a World Cup being held mid-season? I mean, it, it would be tough with the way it's currently collectively bargained. And like, first of all, like the All-Star break isn't very long, right? So how long was this tournament going to be? Um, I think guys are enjoying the bye week situations, right? Like people, yeah. guys are enjoying and take advantage of that. And so, are you going to build in another break for the guys that do these best on best tournaments? You know, um, I think there's a lot of logistics to go through it. I still think the NHL should have a, a best on best. I think it's needs to market itself more, market its top stars, and I think it's it would be such a shame that we don't never see a McDavid, Austin Matthews in a you know Crosby and these guys in a best on best yeah. legit not just a team north america and the world cup of hockey like seven years ago like at a legitimate canada versus us and or sweden all these top players you know bedard to be in there like i think it's just it's just such a shame if these guys don't get that opportunity Stephen stamkos has never played in the olympics victor hedman hasn't played in the olympics you know like these things it's just a bummer to me that this is happening so i think there should be a way i don't know if this is the same model as the nba is doing um, and I know it's going to be a lot to do, but there, there has to be a way for this to be figured out before these guys age out of the system again. I know when it comes to the Olympics, Gary Bettman has constantly said, you know, we don't want to shut down our league and give away our product for mm-hmm. nothing. Well, if the league held this, <laughs> they would get the profit. So mm-hmm. I think he might be a little bit more open to doing it. I could see it happening. Um but then again, you start bringing up things like injuries and if somebody's hurt and do they go or don't they go or if they get hurt during the tournament. There are a lot of factors. But, you know, it was just one of those things. I saw the NBA and I'm like, you know, we, we constantly argue whether, you know, things like the World Cup of Hockey should be in like September or another time. Well, now this maybe opens up their eyes or, or they'll see what the NBA does over the next couple of years. Uh, we're going to go to a break. After the break, we'll talk Ducks. We'll talk Kings with the one and only Eric Stevens. So don't go anywhere. 
All right. Well, our next guest, always a busy man covering both the Ducks and the Kings for the Athletic, Eric Stevens, uh, joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. How are you, sir? I'm well, Rob. How's it going today? Good. We were saying off the air as we were getting you on how, how much of a laid back kind of attitude you got when you're on these <laughs> Zoom calls. I love it for a guy who, like I said, it's got to be difficult. I read all your stuff covering two teams. You know, usually when you got someone who covers a team, that their their whole life is this franchise. How, how do you do it with two teams? I, I don't know. I, I you 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 probably have a better an idea, Rob, than I, than I do. I I guess you just kind of throw yourself into it. I mean, that's that's the kind of the type of guy that I am. Is uh, once once there's an assignment, I just throw myself into it completely. So let's let's just say I'm glad that I have a a recent model year car that's holding up, knock on wood, pretty well. And uh, you know, all those all those trips up and down the 405 and the five <laughs> i'm able to make those uh, <laughs> uh make those pretty well but you know that's that's how i roll <laughs> that's my biggest question is like all the traffic like how do you get through the traffic it must have like some podcast or music to, to play through because like I, I cannot imagine driving through traffic all the time to both and I, 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 i've got a pretty healthy playlist uh on my ipod and yes an ipod <laughs> i know it's it, it's it, it's now like what 20 years old now or whatever but <laughs> i still use it i got a pretty healthy playlist that gets me through it and uh thankfully being a native uh you kind of learn you know the 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 times when you can go and 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 not deal with as much traffic uh but i still have my days when i'm like (laughs) get out of the way (laughs) that's when you turn that's when you turn our podcast on and just get angry at us instead uh let's delve right into it you know where I'm going to start. We're starting with the Kings. We're starting with the Dubois sign and trade. I love the way you put it in your piece, and I'm going to quote you. I don't do this often when we have guests on, but I'm going to quote you. Uh, signature trade in Blake six years on the job. A gamble on a 25-year-old with an unquestioned talent and a spotty reputation that could take the Kings to new heights they haven't been in nearly a decade. That, sir, is just good writing, but um, your thoughts when you saw the Dubois deal, we haven't seen, you know, many eight year deals signed this year. It seems like a new kind of wave before that cap goes up or down, or we don't know what it's going to do, but uh, break down what you thought of the Dubois deal. You, you know what, Rob, I'm going to give my honest impression, my honest first impression. I, I like the fact that the Kings made a big move, uh, you know, that, that, that Rob Blake felt at this point in time, um, you know, he, he needed to maybe shake things up. You know, they're, they're, they're coming off of, their second straight playoff appearance, uh, you know, coming out of a rebuild that they needed to execute, um, you know, after the cup years, obviously those, that was a different, difficult period. Well, you know, now they're on the come up and I think, you know, after losing to Edmonton again in six games and maybe realizing that, okay, we've got to not only try to get beyond them, but now defending Stanley cup champion Vegas in the same division that, they they needed to make a move to level up, you know, so to speak. So, I Pierre Luc Dubois is is obviously going to have a lot to prove, you know, here. And when I talk about the reputation, I mean, we, we know it, you know, fairly or unfairly. He's asked off a boat, you know, two teams, you know, in his career. He's on his third team, uh, you know, and and he's just twenty five. Um, and there's the feeling that. You know, when he's on, he's a terror on the ice. He's terrific. If, if anyone watched you know, a few years ago in that playoff bubble with Columbus and how he was huge uh, in that victory over Toronto, 
you know, you saw then you, you just thought this this is going to be a potential star here. Um, and he's never quite gotten to that, you know, sort of, you know, high, you know, that 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 top first line center, you know, type of player that, you know, franchises build their teams around. You know, he's he's probably settled into he's settled into maybe not that type of player, but he can be one that can still make a difference. And so I was a little, little hesitant, you know, in terms of him being the guy to sort of bet on here that, that Rob is, is betting on. Um, but I, I do get the move in terms of, you know, creating, say, a potential matchup nightmare in the middle with Andre Kopitar and Philip Deneau and Pierre-Luc Dubois centering your, you know, top three lines here. The Kings are built on depth. This is sort of leveling up that depth here. So, but, but, you know, he's got a big contract. He's, he's, he's now committed here. He's going to be here for a while. And uh, he's got to maybe kind of prove the, prove the doubters wrong here. Eric, as a guy who covers a team who's been looking for number one center for a couple of decades, I, I certainly get the, the move here, importance of finding an, a, a center of that position. I was curious more of the, the off ice or the person in Pierre-Luc Dubois because he is an interesting character, like the elite talent, ass off two teams pretty much. And I was I read your story too about his history in LA or history with the Kings or the camp there and stuff like that. I was wondering what makes you guys, you think, and the Kings think that he's a guy that A, wants in, in for the long haul, like this guy's not going to be disgruntled in three years and say, I want to trade, that he's a guy that's like, I'm betting a lot on him. He's betting on himself, of course, but like what makes sure. him this move here the right fit for him? Well, you know what? I, I think when you talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois, and look, I don't know him personally. I'm, I'm you know, certainly going to, you know, to, to get to know him uh, over time whatsoever, but I've talked to, you know, others about him. And even in that first, you know, first couple of impressions whatsoever, you can see that, um, you know, he's kind of a worldly guy, uh, you know, and, and, and I think the, the, the feelings have always been there that, He's kind of wanted to be in a bigger market. Um, and, and, and it's not, and I say this with no disrespect. I mean, I trust me, I I love my trips to Columbus and, and Winnipeg whatsoever. Uh, I, but I think that he just enjoys being in, I guess, a, maybe a cosmopolitan area. And then that's what LA is. Uh, you know, he mm-hmm. talked about it at length. Uh, during his interview the other day of, of wanting new, you know, experiences of wanting to digging, dig into the food scene, the vast food scene here um, of, uh, you know, different environments, you know, different, you know, when you, when you look at LA, I mean, it, it, it's such a tapestry uh, of different, you know, areas, neighborhoods, you know, you can drive 10, 20, 30 miles and have sort of a, con- a completely different vibe. <laughs> within you know within the same metropolis and i think that's something that he really likes and looks forward to you know his, his history i mean he you know the, the, they have the C, uh, caa you know hockey camps that are out here and ironically it was going on <laughs> outside uh, at in el segundo at the king's facility as he was speaking um so he was he was here when he was like 16 17 years old um and and really you know maybe he didn't get to know the place extensively but I think that was kind of the first seed there in terms of this being, you know, maybe a home that he might consider in the future. You know, Joe, it's here's here's the key with him. He's now in a place where he wants to be. He was drafted to Columbus 
He was traded to Winnipeg. He's made it clear that he's going to exercise, um, you know, at the first opportunity that he can't exercise his, you know, his willingness to be in a spot where he wants to be. Well, now he has that. Um, and so the Kings have got to be betting that his comfort level um, over these next years is going to heighten. And that's going to also translate on the ice. You mentioned all the things, the food scene, you know, the entertainment, everything else. The one thing you didn't mention there was just the hockey spotlight that would come with, say, a Montreal, the other team that was rumored that he might be going to. And I wonder if that will translate to success on the ice, because some people thrive on going to their home province where, you know, there's 50 media members at every single practice. And if you have a bad practice, it's front page news. Whereas others say, no, I want to go to an L.A. where. I can get lost there. I can eat dinner without being hounded by fans. And I'm wondering if Dubois is one of those guys. You know what? I, I think there may be something to that, you know, Rob, as well. It, you know, yes, you you are in a big city, a huge city. Um, but when it comes to, say, hockey atmospheres, yeah, it, it, it it's dip very different. And it, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. say compare with, you know, Montreal or or some of the other, you know, you know Toronto or um, Ottawa, New York, you know, et cetera. Uh, you know, places where um, it's so hockey intense, so hockey focused. You've got the Dodgers out here. You've got the Lakers out here. Um, you know, you, you've got uh, even the, you know, the big, you know, the well-named college teams that draw a lot of attention, uh, you know, out here as well. So, yeah, uh, uh, you know, there there is sort of that ability to, you know, quote unquote, get lost, so to speak, to where you are in a big, bigger market, but you don't have, say, everyone, every sports fan out here dissecting, you know, what you did each game and and how well you played or how poorly you played. There is obviously a, a very devoted contingent of of hockey fans, of Kings fans that are out here that will do that. But it's not where you just have sort of an entire city that's sort of dissecting your every move. Eric, it was good to see you at the, the draft. It was a relatively boring one for a lot of us because there were not many trades and you might have had the more, most interesting story on <clears throat> day one. We all knew who Gunnar McGarver was going number one, right? But number two was probably the biggest maybe surprise in some people's eyes, I guess, on who the Ducks went with instead of Fantilli with Carlson there. Just when did you get a, a sniff that that might be the case and why are kind of the Ducks kind of bullish on this pick? You know, I don't, think you, I don't think you could go wrong either way. I don't think it's a, there's a bad pick of the two, but it's just more of a style choice or more of a, you know, what Pepper Beak wants to do. But what, what was, when did you figure that out that was going to happen? And, and why are they so kind of bullish on, on Carlson or Pantilli? Yeah, you know what? And, and it's funny. I mean, I, I have to say that uh, I, might, I might have had a little bit of egg on my face because I wrote that they should have taken Pantilli. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know what? They were even careful to say, even afterward, that it's not a, it's not a saying that, Fantilli is going to be a bad player or whatsoever. They think they think Andy Fantilli is going to be a great player, um, but you know, I, I it's what like you you mentioned, Joe. They're sort of stylistically different. Adams more of a of a driver of the play himself. You know, he's got the great wheels. He's got a great shot. He's going to score a bunch of goals in this league. Um, you know, so those are some of his strengths. Leo Carlson, what Anaheim was really increasingly impressed with, and I think what cinched in their minds with his performance at the World Championships, was 
the way that he makes his teammates better, that he's such a great playmaker and, um, you know, the IQ. I mean, I know it can be a nebulous term, hockey IQ or whatsoever, but that's what they said repeatedly in terms of maybe that slight difference in why they went with him, that, you know, they think that he's someone that can be a force, not in just in the offensive end, but really in the defensive end of the ice as well. I mean, the word selkie was being tossed around uh, there at the draft in terms of Leo Carlson possibly being one of those players. And if you see a lot of the comparisons, it's, it's ironic. We just talked about the Kings whatsoever. Andre Kopitar's name has come up a lot in terms of a potential comparison, a potential, you know, stylistic type of player that Leo can become. And I mean, Andre Kopitar, he's he's one of the ideal two-way center centers of this generation. Uh, th- they really think that he's uh, going to really play well with this core that they're uh, you know that they've got developing in Anaheim that's going to be featured around Mason McTavish and Trevor Zegers and and even Troy Terry uh, uh, whatsoever. You you talked about you know getting a snip of it or whatsoever. Uh, you know, they they said that they kind of came to the conclusion about two weeks before the draft. You know, I kind of felt like there was momentum, mo- more momentum, you know, coming along in maybe say the the first, you know, the the two or three days before the draft. I really started to feel like you know that, that there was a real possibility that they were going to go with Carlson over Fantilli. And I think the day of the the morning of the draft or whatsoever, it uh, it, it was I would I want to say maybe. A couple hours before whatsoever, I really thought to myself, they're really going to pick them. That that that's, you know, that's who they're going to choose. Choose. And like I said, Pat Pat loves his, he loves his hockey brain out there. His you know his sense, his his ability to be able to kind of see everything on the ice and make the right play at the right time. I've always said I would pay a lot of money to be a fly on the wall for the meetings with GMs and potential picks. Because we can analyze, you just did for the last five minutes, the play on the ice. One guy drives the play, one guy makes everyone around him better. But have you heard anything about something off the ice that would have led them to think that Carlson was a better pick other than what you just said, the hockey IQ? I mean, to me, it just seems like, and I again sound a little bit like a broken record. We interviewed Fantilli on this show. We got to talk to him a little bit before and after the show. And I remember saying to, to, to Jesse and Russo, this kid feels like a 10-year veteran already. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I was a little surprised that that he was passed up at two. And I was wondering if it was something that maybe you've heard off the ice that that also influenced them. You know what? It, it, well, it's interesting. And and we're going to well, – obviously, it's going to play out over the next several years. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it's going to be funny. You know, usually in, in, in some of these drafts, it's going to be the debate on, on how – you know, number one and number two, you know, you know, uh, do over over the years whatsoever, where it feels like number two and number three is going to be the, the, the debate debate yeah. <laughs> over the next few years. What I think what what's incredibly impressive about Leo is he's very engaging. Um, and, you know, if anyone, you know, for those that, that don't know, and Scott Wheeler, you know, did a wonderful feature deep dive feature on him you know he does have a um does have a stutter that he that he's grown with and and he's dealt with for all his life um and it's something that he does not he doesn't run away from i mean he embraces it he it's part of who he is and if you talk to him you know face to face he's in very engaging he 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 looks 
you know, a, a questioner right in the eye and he powers through it. Uh, it you know, it's, it, it's something that, you know, that doesn't bother. He embraces it. It's part of him. Um, um, and it, and it's something that he daily, you know, wants you know, wants to improve at because, you know, I think he's, you know, someone that really wants to be, you know, be a franchise face, so to speak. And that's part of him. And, and he's already an inspiration, uh, you know, to those, you know, who have, um, you know, that, that, that similar, you know, part, uh, you know, uh, about them, he's already an inspiration to them. And, and so can you imagine, um, you know, if he becomes a star player in this league, um, just what, what kind of impact that he can make uh, in that regard, uh, just off the ice, I, I you can see why the Ducks found him to be a very impressive young man in addition to the skills that he shows on the ice. Eric, I'll have to say, when I was, if I was to spin a wheel before free agency of where guys would land, I didn't think that Alex Kalorn and Radko Gudis would be landing in Anaheim. And that's just me. And I'm, I love Anaheim. I love Southern California. I don't love the taxes, but they have the money. <laughs> they, have, they have Pat Verbeek, right? So he knows both of those guys. But, you know, why did it make sense, I guess, for them to spend big on these guys, where, considering where Anaheim feels that they are in the competitive cycle? Like, we all know the John Gibson stuff you'll talk about later may not be there at some point. If you're going to... Where are they in their competitive cycle and why these guys make sense, you know, to get their guys here? You know, Joe, you, you know them well, uh, you know, especially Alex. And... I think what Pat wants is he wants some guys to show those young guys that that young core that he's cobbling together who some real competitors are. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, we're not saying we're not, you know, I'm not taking away from any, you know, players that that have played there previously or whatsoever. But he wants guys that have been in the trenches, have played in the most important games. Um, you know, uh, you know, throughout their careers. I mean, Alex Kalorin has been in 140 playoff games. Rako Kudis, you know, the last couple of years has been on a president's trophy, you know, team. And then obviously with the Panthers run to the final, you know, he wants guys that are going to show, um, you know, show Trevor Zegras, Mason McTavish, Jamie Drysdale, um, you know, some of the young talent, even that's going to be coming up, you know, soon through the system here. And, and, and they've got a, a pretty deep, prospect system just what it is you know to really compete on a night-to-night basis every single night um and and that's that's who they are that's that's their makeup that's that's why they uh, have had long careers in this league and, but they you know they, joe they still think that they're viable players i mean Racco good is you know he's going to bring some much needed bite to that team I mean, they, they need some sandpaper in the worst way that, you know, it was a, a group that was pushed around quite a bit at both ends of the ice. You know, Racco Gudis, he ain't going to be pushed around. <laughs> he's he's going to be the one that's going to be, you know, doing, you know, laying, you know, the lumber, so to speak, you know, and, and Alex, you know, Alex, you know, which Pat obviously goes back a long time with, he's almost like the ultimate connector you know, on uh, 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 whatever line that, that he plays, because he, he's the one that, that does the dirty work, but he, you know, he still has enough scum. He still had, you know, he had career high numbers, uh, you know, last year. And yes, there, you know, there's always the worry that someone at his age, 
you know, the, that plays as hardy as he does, you know, wh- how's he going to, you know, wh- what's the drop off going to be like? Is it going to be sudden? Is it going to be gradual? You know, or, or what's more, we'll see over these four years here. Um, but it's not just the, not just what they do on the ice, but really a lot of the stuff, a lot of the intangibles that, you know, I know those aren't measured as easily as the stats and the numbers or whatsoever, but Pat feels like, you know, pretty clear that with that core that he's putting together, that hopefully will be the, the leaders when this team is time to, you know, is ready to contend whatsoever, that they will have been well-versed in seeing players on a day-to-day basis that give it their all every single day. Oh, you're absolutely going to love both those guys and the fans are going to love them. Like Alex Horn, my favorite, one of my favorite overall people I've, I've covered and, and he's a very good culture guy too, of bringing those guys yeah. along the road, a true pro is more interesting. I think the ducks made sense for them to get them as more so like from the player's perspective of like, I don't think these guys are going to win a cup in the next couple of years in Anaheim, right? You're going to a guy like right. they just went to the cup final. I think you guys, they want to win still. So I guess it must be just that they feel like this core is getting close enough to where they can be uh, the catalyst, I guess, to that. Because there's other it's options a, out there. It's a slow yeah. build. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a slow build. You know, Pat's being very patient about it. He's been very clear, you know, from the get-go. I mean, they had the huge sell-off, obviously, at the at the 20, 2022 deadline with Lynn Holm and Raquel, uh, Josh Manson. You know, that that in the is was a clear sign that look, we're gonna do a real rebuild here. You know, it's not going to be, you know, a half measure or or, or a retool on the fly, so to speak. This is a this is a real one, and so, you know, it's if, if you're going to be counting on, you know, say Mason McTavish or Troy Terry being say that maybe the future captain one day, you know, leading that group with Zegris and Drysdale and Carlson, uh, uh, you know, and, and and maybe youngsters like Olin Zellweger or Pavel Mitnikov on the back end, eventually, uh, you know, you need some leaders, you need some guys that that are going to really set that example. Uh, you know, you know, going forward here as they build up, you know, and as they, you know, really build out from, you know, from the basement, because you can't get any lower than what the, what they were last year. So Allison Recco, they're going to get, they're going to get paid well as well. You know, like <laughs> yeah. alluded to the taxes. I'm used to the taxes, <laughs> but they're going to get paid very well to offset some of that. <laughs> well, given everything you just said, Eric, you're going to be making a lot of trips up that highway, up and down, up and down, getting there to cover both of these teams and and all these storylines coming in the next season. So thanks for taking the time to lay back and sit and chat with us. We appreciate it. California thanks. cool, right? <laughs> thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate California it. California cool. <laughs> thanks, guys. Eric Stevens, who covers the Ducks and the Kings for The Athletic. Rapid Fire coming up after the break. So don't go anywhere. All right, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. Uh, Joe, this is the part where we usually make fun of Russo because we call it rapid fire, but he'll <laughs> ramble on for about 20 minutes for each topic. But you and I know what rapid fire means. Yeah. So we've got three of them. Uh, rapid fire topic number one, remaining UFAs. Uh, we've touched on a couple of them throughout the show, but there are a lot of big names out there. You got Tarasenko, you got Kane, you got Taves, you got Dumba, you got, you know, Mark Jones. You get, the list is long. Um which guy are you most interested to see where he ends up? I think for me, it's Matt Dumba, just having covered him here and have been around here for a decade. Um, I think there's a 
28-year-old right shot defenseman hard to find. So I think there'll be a home for him. It's just interesting it's taken this long for it to happen. Perhaps they're waiting for the Carlson dominoes to fall before an opening for Matt Dumba because we have a farewell column written for the Minnesota Wild. Matt Dumba is waiting to run it because we don't know when he's going to leave. <laughs> You're just waiting to just click that post button. You know what I mean? It's always uh, always fun when you got something in the, in the chamber like that. Patrick Kane to me is one that I'm kind of interested to see. Well, I mean, both the Chicago guys. I mean, if Taves comes back, he's that guy. He's We talked about it on last week's show. Jesse brought it up. You know what I mean? If, if Jonathan Taves joins a team in the role that we've talked about twice on this show, as far as a leadership role, a guy who's not looked upon to be the man to maybe help a young player out. If Jonathan Taves speaks, you're going to listen. He's been there, done that three cups. I'd like to, I'm really interested to see where Taves ends up. Uh, signing to pass your way, four-year extension for Alex Newhook with the Habs, 11.6 million bucks. Kind of a versatile forward place, both the wing and center. Um, your thoughts on this one? Interesting move. I think this is, could be a better situation of fit in uh, Montreal for the role that they want him to play. He, he got picked there when the, the, the Avalanche were on their way up as far as cup contenders. I and mean, maybe he wasn't in the right role or the right usage, potentially. And so I think this is a good bet by... Um, Montreal to have a guy like that skill set, maybe in a different role, a little more immediate role, um, and allow him to develop a little bit more. They're in more of a development program versus Colorado is more in a win now program. So it might be less patience there for it. And finally, rapid fire topic number three, a couple of retirements to pass your way. Patrick Hornquist hanging him up, as is Michael Stone. Stone's going to stay with the Flames um, as a, in a player development role. I always find Horkvist interesting, one of those crazy little stats or storylines. I don't know if you want to call it a stat, but drafted dead last in the year when Sidney Crosby was, you know, number one overall and then ends up scoring the game-winning goal in game six of the 2017 finals. Um, Not surprising, but, you know, one of those things where you say, you, you tip your hat and say, good career, sir. Well, absolutely. Instrumental. And if you talk to any of the Pittsburgh Penguin players, and they're all rave about Hornquist and his impact on those teams. And I remember talking to him day one of camp this year in the Panthers after they came in, and he's like, we got to embrace the hard moments. you got to be able to kind of survive that adversity. And I think he was kind of a player coach, as Reichel Russo wrote later in the playoffs. He wasn't playing, but he was such an active member behind the scenes for those guys who hadn't been through a long playoff run, a multiple overtime kind of game before. So kudos to him to go from not Mr. Relevant because one of the late, later round picks, but to turn into one heck of a career there. Congratulations to both of those guys. Joe, thanks for jumping in. You working on anything we should keep our eye on? Well, I had that Matt Dumba piece I've been working on for a little bit, so we'll, <laughs> we'll see we'll, we'll see where uh, where he lands. Uh, yeah, I've been working on something on exceptional status, uh, guys like Connor, Connor Bedard and them who have been through it in the program and what's going on with it. So uh, just some off-season fun stuff. 14, right? He, he was labeled exceptional status at 14. Incredible. That's just crazy. Just Not even high school yet. I cannot wait to see. Yeah. I mean, you always hear about 15-year-olds with the exceptional status, but 14 is just that's just incredible. Cannot wait to watch that guy play in the NHL. Big thanks, Joe, for uh, jumping on. Want to let everybody out there know if you want to see our ugly mugs while we're doing all this talking about hockey, subscribe to the NHL's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the athletic hockey show. And of course, the show continues Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. Want to thank Eric Stevens for coming on. Want to thank Joe once again for co-hosting next week. Shannon Goldman going to be the co-host filling in for those two lazy co-hosts of mine. We're gallivanting around the world. For Joe Smith, I am Pizzo. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.
If you stop anything in this league, there's something else open. Always. So how do you tie that shit together? How do you get the quarterback to it? The voice you're hearing belongs to San Francisco 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. And he's rolling. I'm a product of my environment. Oh, I had to change that shit pretty fast. He's in a chair behind his desk. And it's not doing a great job of containing him because as he starts to talk about football and designing a scheme and calling plays and how, in his very strong opinion, all of that is supposed to blend with the players, he's practically rattling. Not everyone can do everything, but they better be able to do something. Whether it's the receivers, the quarterbacks, and you keep hammering that stuff and you make people defend it when they defend it. Where's the other hole in the defense and who has the best trait to attack that hole and how do you balance them out? Do you have a guy who can find that stuff? If he can't, how do you get him to go through stuff that he'll get to it? Well, then you only put in two plays because it's number one's going to be wide open when it's the right coverage. But when it's the wrong coverage, it'll be so covered that number two will be open. And that's when he's going to go to number two. But don't just tell him to go to number two. Don't make him read the coverage. Make him go through a process of how to get him to there. Or you got a guy who's can just see everything. Kyle, I always go to number three versus cover three. I always go to number one versus cover two. And this is the throw here. It's like, all right, well, let's start talking to you differently. But hey, yeah, that doesn't help that guy either, though. Because you just went to number three. Well, yeah, you said it's good versus quarters. Not everyone plays quarters right. That Mike fucking went with your eyes. Now number one was, oh, oh, there's, there's a situation for everything. Each mic's different. Each play's different. That's why when people say, like, I learned someone's offense, is, are you coaching that somewhere? One entire wall of Shanahan's massive office is a dry erase board. It's covered in plays and handwritten notes to himself, and a couple of swipes as if he's gotten pissed and dragged his hand across certain ideas and frustration. Are you just, that's like, what are you, the water boy guy who left his yellow book somewhere and now we have all your secret plays? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, that's not how it works. Every play on Shanahan's dry erase board starts as one color. Then he draws over the top of it with a different color, which represents a different variant to the same play. Then another, then another, color after color. Each of the layers interconnect and create a vivid mess that somehow makes so much sense, it's almost three-dimensional. Welcome to the inside of Kyle Shanahan's brain. I mean, I hate to say this my life because I know when I die, the first thing I'll think about are my loved ones. <laughs> so that's obviously not my life, but shit, after that, it's that's all I can think about. This is The Play Callers. My biggest fear, if you talk to me as a 14-year-old, would be the life of an 80s rock star, which is to achieve success and then be on that downward trend. We were so young and went through some really great moments, but went through some challenging moments. But like, we just wanted to get better at football because we wanted to help our players get better. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more lonely than when you're not having success and you are the play caller. Because it's easy when, when things are going good, everybody has an idea. When you're not having success on offense and you're calling plays, you're like, hey, can, can somebody help me? It's like crickets on the headset. That's just the way it's a lonely feeling. It's a lonely world. That's Miami Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel, Los Angeles Rams head coach Sean McVay, and Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. They and Kyle Shanahan are the faces of the NFL's youngest coaching family. 
They all spent their early years together, collaborating to build an offense that borrowed from the old and introduced the new. Each one of these guys sees the game like an AI <laughs> screen. All of these coaches have the same principle, but they all have their own stamp on it as well. They all became head coaches at unprecedented young ages and began to shape their own identities in the most high-pressure environments in sports. Sean McVay got hired in Los Angeles. People were like, really? Because he was so young, the tree wasn't established as kind of the NFL's go-to hiring bank at the time. Versions of their offensive system have now spread across a third of the NFL as their respective coaching staffs are pilfered annually. Having a piece of them is synonymous with scoring points. There's a lot of other owners who are just like, okay, like, I want to get the next Superman play caller. You know, I want to get someone to touch Sean McVay. I want to get someone to touch Kyle Shanahan. Because they've won. That's another thing. They've won ballgames. I mean, that's an important thing. We can't leave that part out. They have 19 playoff appearances between them, a couple of division and conference championships, and even a Super Bowl win. Sean McVay gets the Gatorade bath after five seasons. The Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. Yet these four individual coaches are fated to forever be connected to each other, even as they are always ruthlessly competing and attempting to establish their own individuality. They're competing to be first movers in an ever-changing league and even competing against their own minds in obsessive pursuit of perfect answers within an imperfect game. There's not a fucking minute of any day during the calendar year that that immense responsibility I ever wish to be somebody else's, you know? It's an all-encompassing thing that I feel pretty fucking fortunate to be a part of. I mean, it's pretty fucking amazing you have a microphone giving a shit about what I'm saying. I'm Jordan Rodrigue. I obsess over football for The Athletic. A few years ago, I saw something at a Sean McVay run practice that helped me understand how the game collides with itself and how the people, especially these people, within it collide with each other. Football is action and reaction, biology and sociology and evolution. A game, yet with the highest stakes and demanding of a deeply human toll. We're watching these guys and the teams they coach live it all right in front of us with an openness that is kind of startling, if you know where to look. <laughs>